mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to be beginning in verse 21 this morning. If you will remember with me, last week, Jesus with the disciples, they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in case you're wondering, they got over to the, to the Gadarenes, which is where the, the Reubenites and, and, and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh had camped out when they came into the land, right? And I was like, well, wait a minute. Didn't they cross the Jordan? So I had to go look back at a map, right? And so when you look at a map, you see that, that you have the Dead Sea here. And then you have the River Jordan that leads up to the Sea of Galilee. And then it goes up into the hills where it comes from. The whole, the whole river does. And it comes down through there. And it all leads into the Dead Sea. Now listen to me, this is very important because I heard this years ago, didn't plan it, but if, if the water that you receive stops, it'll be dead. Listen, what am I saying? The Holy Spirit, when you receive the, the Word by the Holy Spirit into your heart, if you don't take it out and share it, then it's going to end up like the Dead Sea. That's what happens. This water flows from a mountain. The mountain of God, if you will. And it flows through the, the Sea of Galilee into the Jordan. And then it stops in the Dead Sea and nothing grows there. Everything's dead there. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. There's so much salt in there deposited that you can float. I mean, you just you can't even get underneath it, right? And I'm looking at somebody that's been there. There's no, I mean, you can't even get under the water. And it's that salt that's built up because you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And you're supposed to take what you get from the Spirit of God back out and give it to others as a witness, as a testimony. And when you let it stop with you and it doesn't flow through you, it can kill you just as much as anything else. It's death to the hearer. So they cross back over, um, they get to the gatherings, they meet the man. If you remember, uh, one of the texts says there's two guys, no, no uh, uh, confusion there, no, no, um, um, just one, of the, Mark is telling us about one guy, the one that had a legion, which could have been up to 12,000 demons in him. I mean, can you imagine that? But the theme I want you to understand, though, is that the people in the gatherings had given up on him. He's living in the tombs. He's living in the graveyard. They had given up on him because they couldn't shackle him. They couldn't bind him. They couldn't control him. And then he had given up on himself. 
And he begins to cut himself and mangle himself with, with rocks. And he's given up on himself. But when he sees Jesus, he comes and worships him. And Jesus cast out the demon and set him free. And what happened, when you look at the text, he instantly wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, just stay here and go tell your friends. Go tell people in the city what the Lord has done for you. See, that's the, when, you're, when you come to salvation, when you meet Jesus, God, that's the first thing you want to do is go tell people. I was blind, but now I see. I, I had 12,000 demons, but now I've been set free by the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so what happened? Remember, the legion spoke the whole time, controlled, possessed the man, and they begged Jesus not to cast them out. Let us go into the herd of swine. There's about 2,000 swine. Now this man's gone crazy with all these demons in him. And he says, okay, go into the swine. And the swine ran over the hill and died. They drowned in the water. Listen to me. The townspeople heard of it and came and asked Jesus to leave. Because he messed with their money. That's how they made money. How sad that some people, now we're going to see it again because we're getting ready to go back to the other side. We're going back to Capernaum. We're going back over to Jesus' headquarters and we're going to see another crowd. And the crowds are following him and thronging him. Some people ask Jesus to leave. They don't want that. They say no to God. Some people follow him. Some people mock him. There's always a difference in the crowd. When you cast the seed of the Word of God to somebody and their heart hears it, their, their conscience hears it, it's up to them how they react. Some say, get away from us. We're trying to deal with our hogs and our unclean stuff. We want nothing to do with you, Jesus. Some follow and they, they come close to Him. Notice they're following. They're not out in front saying, follow us, Jesus, because that's the wrong place to be. We're going to watch the crowd, though. He's going to be always moving. And listen to me. Notice this about Jesus. A couple things before we get into the text. One is he lives out loud. No matter where he's at, he's healing, he's preaching, he's telling people about the kingdom of God. And he's our example. No matter where he goes, no matter what he does, he's not afraid. He just keeps telling the truth. And he lives out loud. The second thing is, is as you watch the miracles, watch the miracles. Don't just see this all-powerful God in the flesh casting out demons, healing a woman with a flow of blood. Don't just see him raising up Jairus' daughter. You have to see what else is there, his love, his compassion, his mercy, and that he goes to the unclean. He goes to those that, that, that man has given up on, that maybe that person has given up on himself, the demons, the, the legion. He goes to, to a woman who the doctors have tried everything and couldn't do nothing. And he goes to a hopeless case of a, of a father who says, my daughter is already dead. He goes to those who seem to be helpless and hopeless. 
And they have nobody coming unless Jesus saves them. Unless Jesus. So don't ever think you've went so far that the love of God can't reach you. It's not just the healing. See, because miracles never produce saving faith. You can watch his healings and go, wow, he just raised them from the dead. Wow, he just healed a woman. Wow, he just cast out demons. Miracles don't produce saving faith. Come to Jesus to hear his word and to be saved and to serve him and to be like him. Build endurance. If you're just looking for miracles, it won't produce saving faith. You'll be looking for the next funny thing, the next miracle, the next moving of the water. And there's churches out there that do that. So every week they got to come up with something new to catch your attention. We're here to be equipped to know what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, what he's going to do. When is he coming back to get us? And how to live a life in these bodies that once bore the image of the man of dust, but are being transformed and will soon bear the complete image of the heavenly man. That's what we have to look to. See, that's salvation. We were sinners who needed a Savior. We bore the image of Adam, and we, we, we had a sin nature. He gave us salvation and delivers us from the power of sin. And then now we're looking at bearing the image, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how does He do it? He does it through the Word of God. And the Spirit of God coupled together that washes and cleanses you. As you obey it. Listen. You can hear it all day long. The demons hear it. The demons see it. The demons bow down and worship Him. But they don't obey it. They have no capacity to obey it because they're so deceived. And they've already for so long disobeyed it. No capacity. It wasn't meant for their salvation. We have the capacity. We have the choice. And the greatest thing we can do in that choice is to say, Lord, I can't do it in my strength. There's nothing in me that can follow you or have the power to follow you. But I know that you have called me. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who called me, and he will also do it. His power, his might, his word, his way, for his glory, not ours. So this man goes back, the one that he cast a demon out of, to Decapolis, which is, Deca is 10. And he tells them what Jesus has done, and they all marveled. Think about it. Think about the testimony, the witness, when they knew, here's this guy that's been out there in them tombs that everybody's afraid about, everybody's been talking about, everybody's been yelling and screaming about. We've seen him drug into town in shackles, and, and he was handcuffed, and he broke them. Because he was so, and now he's walking around in his right mind talking about Jesus. What is this? Only priests talk about God. Why is he talking about Jesus? Because when you come to salvation, you become a believer priest. What's that? You believe and you become a priest for God. You're a believer priest now. And you're supposed to be sharing what you believe, what you learn. And you're supposed to be being discipled. 
See, none of us are called to make believers, but we're all called to make disciples. And we help one another grow together. We share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit makes believers. So then we come to 521 of Mark, Mark's gospel, John Mark. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, she said this in her heart, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. While he was still speaking, some from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kuma, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our heart that we would understand what you're saying to us today. Help us to discern it. Help us to receive it with meekness for the continued saving of the soul as you sanctify and cleanse our mind, will, and emotion, Lord. Help us to receive your work in our hearts today. Help it to produce a crop of some 30, some 60, and some 100. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now notice he's come back, and just a couple things we point out. Again, it's the helpless, the hopeless we see in them. But notice this woman's had a flow of blood for 12 years, and the little girl is 12 years old. There's some similarities that go on in the text. They're both helpless. They're both hopeless. 
There's no help coming. And Matthew, Matthew actually says, because uh, this is shared in Matthew and in Luke, all three of the uh, 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 texts. It's not in John. He says she's already dead when Jairus comes. So there's, it's hopeless. Yet Jesus, with man, it's not possible. But with God, all things shall be possible. We don't want to give up on anybody. We don't want to give up on anything. But notice a couple of things. There's some great stark contrast too. the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. He would be one that was hired to handle the, uh, uh, the church while people were there. They might have a, a traveling evangelist. They might do the, they go through the little things that they do everywhere. They uh, uh, say their prayers and they go through the text and they read the scripture and then somebody gets up and teaches. But he was like the, 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 the one who would administrate all of that. So you have somebody that's, that's hired in a religious institution, and then you have a woman who's got a flow of blood that's really sick. Now this woman, we might go there in a minute, in Leviticus, you can go read Leviticus 15, uh, because under the law, she was unclean. Under the law, anybody, it was almost like being a leper, because anywhere she was with a flow of blood, she would make what she was setting on, what she was touching, whoever she touched would become unclean. So she wasn't allowed to be anybody. Now here's the guy ruling the synagogue. He's allowed to be around everybody. And everybody's listening to him orchestrate it. But here on the other end is a woman who can't come around people. She makes them unclean. So she would be a social outcast. She wouldn't be a leper that would have to yell unclean, I don't think. Or maybe she would. We're going to have to go there because it's going to tell us that eventually. But we'll get there in a minute. Listen. It doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you want. Jesus has come for anybody who will surrender, anybody who will come to him, anybody who will believe in him. Doesn't matter where you're at in society. Nobody is so far away that Jesus can't heal them, save them. And it's the spiritual. My God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But your first most important need is your spirit. It's your soul. It's, it's not stuff. It's not stuff. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And it's always going to be him providing spiritually before he'll provide uh, the other things. Now, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again, they didn't want him there. He's not going to force himself upon him. He goes back to his place of headquarters in Capernaum, and he goes by boat to the other side. A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Again, they're at Galilee, and they gathered. And I like this because gathered means, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to lead together, to collect. It means the assembly. They're assembling themselves together. Why? So that he can teach them. That's what we're doing right here. We're an assembly that's gathering together so that we can hear Jesus speak. And as they're assembled there by the sea, it says, And behold... One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Notice he falls at his feet and worships. No place else. He falls and worships at his feet. Jairus is this. Listen, Jairus means he gives light. I love that. 
Because the light of the world gives us light so we can give others light. Listen to me, because there's so much more here than just a man with a daughter who's sick. And listen to me, listen guys and gals, here's a, here's a little side note. Let's do a sidebar. Don't give up on your children. Even when you think they're dead, don't give up on your children. Now, he doesn't raise every child from the dead like he's going to do here. But don't give up on your children, no matter what age they are. Keep praying for them. Because it's Christ who gives life. We're going to see that in the text. Because as soon as you get the news that your child is dead, you just go, okay, I'm done. You don't ever give up. Pray for your children. I'm glad that people didn't give up on me. Because with my life, I was one that you could give up on. And some people did. The world gave up when they tossed me into prison for 12 years. The world gave up on me. Some people gave up on me. Jesus never did. Jesus doesn't give up on us. So don't believe the lie of the wicked one. So Jairus means he gives light. Because we're in darkness and we need his light. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now think about this for a minute because here's a really strong thing. All the religious rulers are saying, hey, don't be worshiping this guy. Don't be believing in this guy. We got to kill this guy. They're wanting to kill Jesus, and here's somebody who's being paid to run the synagogue, and possibly his bosses are saying, don't be around him. But he comes and has a different heart. He's not listening to this earthly ruling authority that tells him, we're going to kill him. He's messing with all of our system, and he's a liar. See, his heart is, I got nowhere to go but to Jesus. His heart is, my daughter's sick, and nobody can fix her, but Jesus can. See, because here's the witness. Here's the testimony. Jesus is doing these healings. Jesus is doing all these things. He's preaching. And, and you remember we had to bring a man on a cot, and he's, and he's been crippled his whole life. And Jesus says, arise and take up your bed and walk. And all of this testimony of Jesus and this witness is going throughout. And people are hearing about it. They're going, well, that one Jesus, he's doing this. And the synagogue leaders are good. And all the people, the Pharisees and Sadducees are going, we're going to have to kill him because he's, he's, he's teaching lies. And all the people are following him. And, and over here, they're all going, man, did you see him? He speaks like nobody even knows. The things that he's saying, who taught him this stuff? And, and when you hear him, he's loving us. And he's telling us all the things that is right. And so this is all going out. So Jairus is like, you know what? I love my child so much that I'm going to Jesus. Listen, if you love your children, if you love your children, go to Jesus for them. No matter what they're doing, go to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Get them to Jesus. Ask Jesus to come and get them. Come and see them. Come with me. Take care of my children. One of the things I always see in the book of Job is that Job, being a righteous man, maybe a king, but what he always did was prayed for his children. No matter what his children were doing, no matter how they're living, remember when they all die, they're riotous living over in a house having a big party. But Job always prayed for his children. He would deliver them to the throne room. He would always ask. And it's something that we should do as parents. And I don't mean to spend so much time on that, but it's very important. Jairus he gives light, falls down at the feet of Jesus, the light of the world. He's worshiping him. 
we can see where his heart's at when he will bow down at the feet of this man, the God-man, God with us. And he begged earnestly, he prayed. He beseeched him, saying, My little daughter, we know in verse 42, she's 12, lies at the point of death. We know in Matthew that he was probably already, or she was probably already dead. And there's no contradiction there. It's just from a different point. Different point of view. Matthew leaves out those facts that somebody come and told him later. And he just goes and starts with the fact that after the messenger had came, he just tells the story, the testimony from that point. Not from the point when he first gets there. So you just have to add these things together and you figure out what's going on. There's no contradiction. Come. I beseech you, come. Lay your hands on her. See, he healed many different ways, but the testimony is, is that he laid his hands on him and he was healed. And we see Jesus healing all these people that she may be healed. He totally believed that she may be healed if he comes and lays his hand and she will live. So he, he was pretty clear in what he was asking, wasn't he? He didn't come and say, hey, is there anything you can do? And I would say the same thing with your children. Be exact in what you're asking God. God's desire is for all men to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So be exact when you ask for your kids. He's asking exactly what he wants. He's not saying, hey, if you want, come and lay your hands on maybe my kid. Uh, can you heal? I don't know. He already knows. He already believes in his heart. He already has seen it. He believes that Jesus can come and heal her. And it's faith. That's what we need. Not some him hauling around and guessing, but we know that Jesus can heal. Now, whether it's his will or not is a different thing. But Jairus comes and asks. 24, so Jesus went with him. Again, see the compassion. See the love. Not just the power. Yes, God's all-powerful. Yes, God's all-knowing. Yes, God's everywhere. But he has compassion and love and mercy and grace for the unclean, for the dead, for the lost, for those that the world gives up on. Pay attention. Let me tell you one more thing. Pay attention. Pay attention. In this text, you're going to see different audiences like I told you about. Watch this. One audience is happy to celebrate the death of the girl. I'm way ahead of myself, but I can't help but tell it to you. One audience is celebrating, playing timbrels and singing. Matthew says they had instruments. They're, they're celebrating that she died, and that's what they do in this culture. At a funeral, they would hire mourners to cry and play music and sing, so it looked like a big celebration. The other audience is looking for life. See, there's nothing spiritually different in our world today. When you look at the TV, when you look on the news, you see death and destruction from one side, and you see life and that more abundantly from the other side. doesn't make anybody perfect or anybody unsavable, but you still see the power of the devil trying to kill and take life and celebrating that we're killing 68 million babies and celebrating that, that, we're, that we're giving people medicine to kill them in the hospital. Hospital rooms because we want to say that we are 
really good people that don't want to see anybody suffer. When in fact the Bible says, through much suffering shall you enter the kingdom of God. The greatest character in a person's life is made when you're suffering. Not made when you're rejoicing. And the world wants to kill you while you're suffering. So there's no fruit on the other side. Careful with this. I'm not speaking evil of of doctors. I'm speaking evil of those who say that they know everything and they've said no to God and they think they know what's going on with life and yet they would take you out of your misery and think that they was doing you a favor when in fact they're removing some character. My wife, hey beautiful, six months ago, We were ushered out of the hospital room so a doctor and a nurse could talk to her about taking medicine and dying. Now, she might not live for another 60 years, but she's been here with me for six more months. But they were ready then to say, well, this is hopeless. This is hopeless. We can't do anything. This is really bad. We don't want you to suffer. And they do it every single day in the hospital. And I am not speaking evil or mean about the hospital system. But God is a God of life. And we told him, we didn't come to the hospital to die. We come to the hospital to live. And you know what? If they try to make you, just like, just like Carol Koshan told of her husband, when he had coded three times also. And they said, well, what do you want us to do? How many times did she said, you revive him every time you can. And you do everything you can to keep him alive. Because you can't keep God from taking him when he's ready to take him. See, God is a God of life. And we are called to stay alive as long as we can. And be a witness as long as we can. And let suffering have its perfect place in our life. You don't euthanize people. You euthanize dogs. You don't euthanize people. I'm sorry. I don't like to see anybody suffer either. But God's a God of life, and He takes people. He tells you when your last breath is. And I don't think it's the place of a doctor to tell us when that last breath is. Sorry, it's my opinion. You have to have your opinions, and you have to stand strong on them, regardless of what the world says about it. I don't like the world's science because the world's science leaves God out. In other countries, when you're no longer productive, they're already already killing the elderly. They're euthanizing them. It's the same. Their their definition of life is something that can take care of itself. That's why they feel safe to kill a baby in the womb. Even at nine months and in a partial birth abortion, when the baby lives through the abortion, they don't mind killing that baby because it doesn't take care of itself. It has to be taken care of by somebody else. See, that's another picture of your government taking care of you. And when a person gets older and they're in the nursing home, we see people don't care about them. That's why it's supposed to be the family that takes care of the elderly, not a nursing home. I'm sorry. We've become a useful society that does what we call practical because the world tells us to do it. What does God say to do?
again, no condemnation in Christ Jesus if you put your parent in a nursing home. But we're supposed to take care of them. We're supposed to protect them as long as we can. Hopeless. Come with me, Jesus. It's hopeless. She's, 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 she's 12 and she's at the point of death or she's already died. Come lay your hands on her and heal her. Make her whole is what that healed means. Healed. It's actually, it, the word healed is actually the word that's used for salvation. It's not soteria, where we get the word soteriology, which is where we get salvation. But it's one of the words that says, and they were saved. Get saved from this wicked and perverse generation. That's what it means. It means to deliver, to save. Healed, to make whole. Because see, if we're still bearing the, the, the image of, of the man of dust... We're not whole. We're not healed. Jesus is worried about your soul, not your body. You're going to get a new body. Excuse me. He's worried about your spirit, not your body. It's your spirit that matters most. Your spirit's going to be with him forever. Your spirit. See, because you're a spirit right now in a body, not a body with a spirit. It's so important that we know that, that we're spiritual people. And we're always going to be a spirit but we'll get a different body. We're always going to be a spirit, but we'll live in a different place. We're always going to be a spirit that lives for eternity. But whether it's in heaven or hell is to be decided by what we're doing right now. And that's why the devil takes even the word of God and the people of God and distracts and causes confusion and destroys the truth of God so you don't get it because it's the truth that sets you free. And who Christ has set free is free indeed. Jairus, Jairus is worshiping. Jairus is praying. Jairus is, is asking, please come with me. Jairus is trusting by faith and knows that Jesus can heal his daughter. Jairus has open faith. It's right out in the open. Everybody's watching. Crowds are thronging, and he has no problem walking up and going, Jesus, my name is Jairus. I work at the synagogue. My daughter's dying. Come, lay your hands on her, and she'll be healed. See, his faith is right out loud. He's living out loud. He's not afraid to say it with everybody watching. And what happens while that faith out loud is going on? Watch here. We're going to have some hidden faith. Watch this hidden faith. The woman. Watch this. Right Interrupts right in the middle of it. And don't miss this. Jairus believes God so much that even in the interruption, he doesn't grow impatient. I mean, because think about it. If my daughter was lying, getting ready to die, and, and I was talking to Jesus, and I'm trying to get him by the hand, and I'm trying to get him to, and, and somebody comes up and interrupts, like, oh, oh, not right now. Ho, ho, ho. He's going with me. Because my needs are more important than your needs, lady. But see, he has patience. True faith, true light has entered into Jairus. He knows as long as Jesus is there, he's got this what jesus tried to tell uh martha i am the resurrection and the life somehow jairus knows that if you'd have been here he'd have lived no no martha even now believe in he will live 
25. Now a certain woman, notice we got Jairus' name, he gives light. We got a woman, we don't even know her name. See, it's all, see all the contrast? We know somebody's name, we don't know their name. There's plenty of people in the Bible, you don't know their name, and they had great faith. Who had a flow of blood. She's unclean. It's been 12 years. Some kind, some kind of herniation or something hemorrhaging in her body. A flux of blood. It's an issue is what, uh, an issue is what, yeah, I got an issue. I got to cancel some subscriptions. She had an issue of blood that just flowing, which made her unclean. It made her an outcast and had suffered. See this? She's suffering Many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now listen, the, the, worse, the word worse right there, it, it means it was aggravated. And, and it means physically, mentally, and morally. Listen to me, this is very important. She's... Given everything she has, all of her world's money, to physicians. And physically, morally, and mentally, she's no better. Because, see, the world wants to tell us that you come to me, and you meet with me, and you talk with me, and, and I'll make you better. Just keep paying the bill. And if you can't pay the bill, the government will pay the bill. But just keep coming to the physician. Keep coming to the doctor. And I'm not against doctors. Listen, because you can listen to my sermon, you might think, man, he's against doctors. He's speaking down on doctors. No, I'm speaking against anybody who says no to God and thinks that they are higher than God. And they leave God out of it. And you want a doctor who's going to pray. You want a doctor who knows that they're not end all. You want a doctor that knows that there's a great physician and that he's just a physician. I'm a physician, I'm practicing medicine, but there's a great physician that can take care of everything. That's what you want. So think about it. If you're going to call yourself a physician, shouldn't you know the great physician? If you're going to call yourself a Christian, shouldn't you try to be like the one who's Christ? Because that's what it means. But the physicians have, a lot of times, have this God complex. That's what they call it, where they think they're God and what they say, and they use bad science. They're using science that they're underneath the sway of the wicked one. And I'm sorry, I'm not apologizing to doctors over truth. But like I've said to you before, when the Supreme Court ruled that you could have gay marriage, and then we began to say that there's more than two biologies. Where was the outrage from the science departments? Where was the outrage from the doctors who actually smack them on the butt and pronounces them a boy or a girl? Where was the outrage with such lie? There was no outrage. Because they're going to follow what the world says. So that their career, their pigs don't go over a cliff. They don't lose their money. They don't lose their license. And listen, when they begin lying to you, you have to, you have to follow truth. You have to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter about your career. What about people's souls? Romans 1.32 says you don't have to do it. You don't have to practice it. You just agree with the people that are promoting it, and you're just like them. If you don't speak out against it. 
We need to talk about truth from the Word of God a little bit more instead of some politically correct gospel that leaves truth out. Because people are going to die and go to hell. She's worse. She gives all of her money, everything, and she's worse. But then she heard. Verse 27, when she heard. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody's talking. This guy's healing everybody. This guy might be the Messiah. She heard. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you investigated Jesus? Have you snuck up on Jesus? Are you coming to him in any way, fashion, or form? Jairus came in the open. This woman snuck up. I got my opinion. Guess what? Guess what? This is my opinion right here. I'm telling you it's an opinion. I'm inserting it into the text. I got my opinion. When the doctors failed, when she was out of money, everything she said on, everywhere she went, she was unclean. She couldn't get around people. She's, she's, she's helpless and hopeless. She went to a priest. She went to somebody in the synagogue. Whoa, 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 don't touch me. Don't come around me. I don't want to be unclean. Don't, don't come around me, you know. Don't come around me. We don't want that type up in this church. You've got to dress up, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. Don't come around me. No, no, we don't want none of the bank robbers and, and people in here. This church is made up of good, honest people. Listen to me. I got my opinion that they didn't want nothing to do with her because they was afraid they might get unclean. But that's who Jesus came for because there's nothing but unclean. There's nothing but sinners, none righteous, no, not one. And Christ has come for all of us. So I believe that's why she's sneaking up. She hears the witness. She hears the testimony. But because of what the world has shown her and the other people who represent God have shown her, she's like, oh, this is my last hope. And see, isn't that, isn't that funny how that, that, that Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, the light of the world, who died for all the sins of the world, he becomes our last hope? Wait a minute, let me throw some money at it. Wait a minute, let me throw some doctors at it. Wait a minute, let me try covering it with booze and drugs. Wait a minute, let me try this. Wait a minute, how about some more? Oh man, I'm at the end of this. I better try Jesus. That's how the world gets us to think. Where he's supposed to be first in everything, not last in everything, but praise the Lord they came. Praise the Lord he's there. Praise the Lord they heard, and finally they got to the end, and they said, Jesus. Jesus. She heard that Jesus, and again, faith comes by hearing. Her faith is very strong, but I think she's afraid of the ridicule. I think she's afraid that Jesus also. See, sometimes we represent Jesus like Jesus will also make you dress up. Jesus will also make you do these things. Jesus will say the same thing as the rest of the priests have said. Don't touch us. Don't come near us. You have blood. Don't be unclean. I won't be able to go to, to chapel tonight. Remember when Jesus died? You know the reason the Jews didn't want to deal with it on Passover, which today is, today is Pentecost. I forgot to tell you guys that. 50 days after resurrection. It's not truly, I mean, but it's traditionally what we practice. Mike shook his head. I know Mike. But all the preachers around the country are saying, this is Pentecost. No, it's not. It's the wrong calendar, wrong date, wrong time. 
but traditionally it is 50 days after what we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. So 50 days later, which is what Penta means 50. Anyway, let's get back to our text. She, uh, she says, I got to do this stealthily because my situation is so bad. I need to be healed. But if I say it out loud, if I let people know this is going on in my life, if they find out, I'm going to be an outcast. I'm unclean. I won't be able to get in. Notice she's in the crowd already. Isn't that cool? She's unclean and she's in the crowd. Nobody really knows her because if they did, they'd go, unclean. She's not supposed to be in the crowd. She's got a flow of blood. So she's easing up. She's been such an outcast. Nobody even knows who she is. Maybe you're here today. Maybe in your life, there's something going on that's unclean. And you think nobody knows that Jesus already knows she's in the crowd. He already knows where she's at. He already knows what he's going to do. She might be able to come in and be unclean in the crowd and nobody know it. But he knows it. And that's the most important thing, that he is going to take care of it so that she doesn't have to be an outcast. And I don't care what the world says, people. As long as Jesus loves me, I'm okay. I don't care whether the world accepts me. God accepts me. He came and died for me. He came looking for me. If I was the only unclean, unrighteous, listen, that crimson flow, that flow of blood that he shed on the cross heals my uncleanness when I believe in it, when I trust in it completely. And I can see her faith. She's so strong in her faith, but it's, but it's hidden faith. Because she's afraid of what people are going to say. She's afraid of what they might do. They might keep me from him. And I've heard he's healed everybody. So she thinks, I'm going to ease in. I'm going to touch the hem of his clothes. So she's kind of misappropriating her faith. But believe me, her faith is real. Her faith is genuine. Her faith is amazing. So much so that she silently, stealthily, so that nobody around can cause her to not touch Jesus. Be careful. The crowds, the false doctrine, the teachings that the many churches go can keep you from touching the true Jesus. Physicians can keep you from touching Jesus. Listen, I got nothing against doctors. I really don't. But when I get sick, the first thing I want to do is pray and say, do I even need a doctor? I want to do it with wisdom. And you know, when a doctor says, hey, we're going to do this, I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I want to do that. If you're practicing, then I'm what you're practicing on, and I don't like that practice. And I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes they don't like that at all. When you ask them what they're doing, when you question what they're doing. Listen, you can come and reason with Jesus all day long. He's the great physician. You can talk to him all day long. You can question the suffering. You can question the pain. You can come to him. He says, come and reason with me. Though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. He ain't getting mad. He knows what he's doing perfectly. See, when a person gets mad when you question them, it's because they really don't, they're not sure of themselves. They really don't know what they're doing because they're practicing. This is not a perfect science. And so you want a doctor with what they call a good bedside manner. 
not a deceptive bedside manner, but he'll talk to you. You can reason with him. We can decide together. After all, it's my body. But when you have a world that takes out the patient and puts in the government and the insurance company, the patient has no say-so. Jesus gives you a choice. And if we're going to be Christ-like, we should have a choice. Now, I'm not saying you go to the doctor and go, well, you want A, B, C, or D. Oh, well, here we can, well, maybe that'll, I don't know if that'll help or not. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. But why is it that some commercials on TV tells you, tell your doctor about this. If you're suffering this or that, tell your doctor about this. And then other ones say, no, you can't question what the doctor says. Well, why? What? It's because it's marketing of big pharma. It's marketing of drugs. It's because the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. It's because the book of Revelation says that they would not repent of their pharmacy, their sorcery, their pharmacia. They thought they were God, and He's God. And if we don't repent and humble ourselves, we might get left behind in the judgment. So anyway, the physicians, I'm looking to the great physician. I trust some physicians. I talk to some physicians. But if they're not open for conversation, we need to be very careful. I'm telling you, we need to know these things, people. Just as I told you, they wanted to give my wife drugs and let her slowly go to sleep. 54 years of age. Oh, I'm not supposed to tell that. And they wanted her to go to sleep. And we were crying out to God. We were crying out to the great physician for wisdom. And another doctor came in and said, wait a minute, what's going on here? You have, you're 54, you have all of life to live. It changed our entire perspective. It changed my wife's perspective. See, when you think you're hopeless and helpless and there's nobody coming, you're just stuck. But when you know Jesus is in the house and you hear that Jesus can heal and you know that there's a hope in the future, listen, you may stay sick in this world, but he's, he's taking those who believe in him home and you're going to get a new body. You're going to live for eternity with him. You have an inheritance in heaven. It's not about this stuff down here. This is the testing ground. This is the classroom. He can make you whole. Whether it's physically whole or spiritually whole, you need spiritually whole long before you need physically whole. You can trust him. I better keep going. We're out of time. And I still got two hours left. So she heard that about Jesus, verse 27, she came behind him. Notice she's behind, not in front. That's a good place to stay. You get out in front of Jesus, it's probably going to be sin. She's behind him in the crowd. And she touched his garment. She touched his clothes. His robe. For she said, where did she say that at? She ain't got no friends. Don't nobody know who she is. She said it to herself. She said it in her heart. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. She's reasoning in her heart if I touch him. He doesn't have to touch me. Me just touch him. 
Now, I believe in the relationship, and you'll see it here in a minute. It's I and you and you and me. It's not just if you touch Jesus. A lot of people, a lot of people say, I know Jesus. I mean, go ask anybody on any street corner. I was born in America. I know Jesus. Does he know you? Because Matthew 7, he says, be away from me. I never knew you. See, it can't be sneaking up with hidden faith. It's got to be out in the open faith that I have a conversation with him, that I build a love relationship with him and is not ashamed of him. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It's the, it's the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek. But so many people have hidden faith and they're afraid to speak about it because the world frowns on it. And politically correctness is you're not allowed to talk about your faith, but you can talk about every other faith. Oh, yeah, every other religion. Secularism is a religion. Atheism is a religion. You can talk about everything except for Christianity. And the Christians buy into it and they go quiet and nobody's telling the testimony so nobody hears. And then we go, what happened? If I only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This is what she said in her heart. If only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. And listen to what this means, touch. Listen, every time you see touch in this text, it means to attach oneself to. It comes from a word that means to set on fire, to set a light. Listen, when you touch Jesus, there is a light. That's what Jairus' name means. He gives light. As soon as you touch him, he gives light. But don't think you're going to ease away because he wants to touch you. Watch. Immediately, straight away, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt her body that she was healed of her plague, King James. Healed of her disease. Again, healed is the word for saved. It's a word used to represent salvation. Because her faith is in the Messiah of God. She's looking for her body to be healed. But she's going to go away with her soul healed also because she's placed her faith squarely in God's Messiah. Verse 30, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power, your new King James, virtue had gone out, King James, virtue of him turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the word there is, is, is um, deutimus for power and virtue. It just means miraculous power. See, everything about God is life. If you touch God, it's going to give you life. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you search for him and try to touch him, he's going to touch you. If you search for him, you'll find him. Listen to this, though, because we've really changed this stuff. The word virtue or power here, the word virtue is, is the radical sense of strength. Straining and stretching and extending. And that's the primary sense of the day. But today, when we look at the word virtue, what do we think? We talk about moral goodness or moral duty. 
Then the word virtue meant strength. Power went out. In fact, someone has said, um, virtue is voluntary obedience to truth. Voluntary obedience. See, we think of virtue as just being some goodness or moral, but it's, it's really strength. And its strength comes from obedience to God, from truth. And so virtue, truth went out from him. And that's what we're looking for, people. When you look to touch Jesus, when you look to find Jesus, you're looking for that power, that strength, that authority, that truth. Because there is power in truth. There's virtue in truth. So it's kind of funny here. Who touched me? There's a whole crowd of people. Who touched me? Who didn't touch you? Think about it, though. Listen to me. Listen. Because there's people in the crowd that are following and touching Jesus, but it's not with faith. They're not looking to get from Him something for their soul. They're looking to get something for their pockets. They're following for the wrong reasons. They're looking for the moving of the water. They're going to watch the miracles. They didn't come to Him with faith as a Messiah, faith that He was God's Messiah. They didn't come to Him for a healing. They came to Him to look religious and to be part of the gang, cooling in the gang. There's people in the crowd that's not looking for Him completely to make Him whole and to heal Him. And we don't want to be those people that are following just because of mob mentality. Look at the mob mentality going on in our country right now that's created by big money. It's made up. There's one race, it's the human race, and all lives matter, not just black ones. And it's kind of degrading to me when you say something like black lives matter and you're not worried about my life. There's stupid people in every place you go in this world. And it doesn't matter the color of their skin or their language. There's just stupid people that are sinners. And they do dumb stuff. Don't follow a mob. You don't know what you're going to get into. Mobs are, they turn crazy. And this is what, you know, lawlessness. Jesus said, when I come, lawlessness will abound. You ever think you'd see a police station burned down while police vacate the building in America? Hmm. Yeah, it's on purpose. On purpose. The devil is afoot. And he's got a bunch of useful idiots following him. So verse 31, his disciples said to him, and this is what I'd say too, because I'm just like Peter putting my foot in my mouth. You see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? See, they still don't know. Remember before they said they weren't sure. They marveled when he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the sea and they were in the boat. And they weren't sure who, they said, what, what manner of man is this? How do you ask God, who touched me? You say, who touched me? How do you question God like that? Somebody touched me. Jesus, everybody's strong in you. What do you mean, dude? Think about it for a minute, looking at God and going, that was a dumb question, God. Jesus does it all the time. They're not dumb questions. They're made to reach in and pull out and strengthen faith. Remember the guy at the pool and, and, and he's crippled? A lame man at the pool and Jesus says, do you want to be made well? 
Are you one of these earthly physicians? What's wrong with you? I'm laying here crippled. Of course I want to be made. But he made the guy really think about his, his condition. Do you really want to be made well? Because God has all the power and the virtue. He has all the ability. All you have to do is touch him and you'll be made well. It's for this purpose that he came. Was to save us. So the questions are always there designed to reason with and bring you to a place. So he says, who touched me? Do you think that God didn't know who touched him? Remember in the garden? I know we go long. I'm sorry. Remember in the garden? Adam, where are you? Where are you? Hiding from God. God knew where he was at. He was getting him to think about where he was at because he had disobeyed. And now he's over here hiding with fig leaves on, itching like this. He, he knew exactly where he was at, but he wanted him to think about his disobedience. He wanted to think about the fact that he had, had, had ignored what God had said and let his wife eat of the tree, and then he joined her. See, Eve was deceived, but, but Adam walked right into it on purpose. He wasn't deceived. God's not, he knows who the woman is. Watch what it says there in the next verse, 32. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. He looked right at her. He's looking at us right now. He's examining our heart right now. He knows who's really touching him and trying to touch him. And he's going to draw her out and bring her hidden faith out in the open. See, Jairus is out in the open. She's trying to ease in and ease out and get a healing and not be out in the open. But all faith has to be lived out loud or it will die. It will end up in the Dead Sea. It has to be flowing. And you speak of the things that you know. And you share your testimony and your witness. He looks right around at her. But the woman, look, she sees his eyes looking right at her. Fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, she'd been healed, made whole, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Think about this. Think about this. He looks around. Now her fear, her fear was, I'll be rejected. Her fear was, he's going to say, unclean. Her fear was the world, the crowd, everything. But now her fear is properly placed in the right place. The same way it was in the boat when the boys, he got up and spoke and said, Why are you so fearful? Why do you have no faith? Then their fear got placed in the right place. See, the miracle is not to save you, but it's to get you to place your, your faith in the right place. Quit being fearful of the world and what they might say about you. Quit being fearful of your career. Quit being fearful of your, and quit being fearful. Quit being fearful of COVID. And fear God who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And obey him and don't obey your fear. See, he got her to bring her fear into the proper perspective because now the healing is, is, is showing that her faith was real. He is real. He allowed me to touch him and I'm whole. Think about it. It sets you free. And then what did he do? In this reasoning and conversation, she falls down and tells everybody in the crowd, Everybody that's still thronging, everybody that's standing there, including Jairus, is going, dude, my daughter's dying. He lets her give testimony right in the middle of that. Witness so that it would be out in the open what just happened. Now, why is that important? 
Here's what I think is important. I don't think there's any Pharisees or Sadducees or any scoffers there. They're all following. Not all of them are following in faith to be healed. But I don't believe any of the crazy people are there because we're going to see when he gets to Jairus' house, he says, don't tell anybody. But here he elicits her to come out and tell everything. Well, you know, I was here and I, uh, I've been doing this. And so you can imagine her testimony went for a long time. And it's been 12 years and I've been, uh, I had this flow of blood, this hemorrhaging. It can't stop. I went to all the doctors. I mean, my, my, my husband sold his camels. And, and we've, we've did everything we can. And, 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 and I went to the priest and, and he couldn't do it. And so I said, if I touch his him. And she's telling this whole thing. The whole truth. That's what we're called to do when we touch Jesus is tell people about him. Tell him what he's done. Give testimony. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And number three, we do not love our life unto the death. See, there's people hanging on to this life and they're silent. And they won't tell people about Jesus because they're afraid that they might lose this life. But they're supposed to lose this life. Their hope has to be in heaven. Their hope has to be in God. All their faith has to be instilled in being citizens in heaven. And if you grab onto this life, you won't get heaven. But if you turn loose of this life, he'll throw this life in. But you've got to set yourself free. You've got to let him bring you out into the open. My pastor used to call them Clairol Christians. Only your hairdresser knows. Because you're afraid to speak up about Jesus. Listen, we've been given truth. We're being equipped right now with truth. You know why? When you're standing at the gas station tomorrow, you're standing at the grocery store tomorrow, and somebody says something insane about the world science that leaves God out, you can speak up and go, <coughs> uh, and you, you just say, hey, Jesus saves. What? I was once blind, and now I see. You don't have to tell them everything. Just speak the name of Jesus and there's power in it. But what do we do? We go, people don't know nothing about Jesus. I know everything. I ain't going to tell them. They're hopeless. They're helpless. Can't nobody help them. Sorry. We better get moving. We're about two hours now. She fell down and she told the whole truth. Listen, if you've come to Jesus and you've touched Jesus, Jesus wants to draw you into a relationship that requires you to go and be a witness and tell the whole truth to everybody in the crowd. It's there. I'm just telling you what it says right there. And he said to her, daughter, you see that? You're in the family. Now, you can look at that and say, well, she's just an Israelite, and all the children of Israel become, listen, he said daughter. Do you hear the endearment of that? It's an enduring term. Daughter, you're part of my family. I belong again. I'm no longer unclean. How do you say that when you're the son? Oh, oh, whoa. Oh. No, we really get that for a minute. Get that for a minute. Think about it for a long and hard time. He's the son. Shouldn't he be saying brother, sister? But he speaks as if he's representing the father. And he says, daughter. And what does she do here? He writes her faith. Look what he does. He steers her faith to the right place. Her fear has already done it. Her fear comes back to God. But what does he do? It wasn't your works. 
You didn't get saved because you got baptized. You didn't get saved because you cleaned the church. You didn't get saved because you fill in the blank, because you touched the hem. It was your faith that made you whole. Faith placed squarely in Jesus. See, in her heart, true faith, she knew Jesus was the Messiah, but she thought, if I could just do this work and touch his hem, I'll be healed. He corrects the apple cart. He says, your faith is placed in the right place, but it's not on your works, it's on me. It's not on you touching the hem of my garment, but it's on you and I having this relationship. You're trusting in me for salvation, for healing, making me whole. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Not your idea, not your assumption that if you touch my hem, your faith made you whole. Faith in who? The person of Jesus Christ. Then he says, go in peace because Christ brings peace. Romans 5, 1. Peace with God, and then you have the peace of God. In fact, peace here means to join, to set it one again. Just like he used the word healed, made whole to be a word for salvation, he sets her at one again in the family. And that's what happens when you and I come to salvation. The father says, you're my child now. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To as many as believe in his name. John 1, 11 and 12. We're almost done. Give me another hour. I didn't put it all in here, okay? I'm just trying to bring it out as we let the Spirit speak to us here. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be whole. Be healed of your affliction. He, sp he spoke the truth to her and healed her. While he was still speaking, do you know he's still speaking today? If you have ears to hear what he's saying to the church, some came to the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Listen. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Don't harass him anymore is what the trouble means. Listen, you're stuck where you're at. The devil's going to tell you, oh, you always commit this sin. You're always going to do that. You're trapped now. It's too late now. I'm a silent now. Hey, listen, why trouble Jesus anymore? I mean, it just seems like that's the way you were created and you're always going to be like that. That's what they're telling people when they tell them there's more than two genders, when it's okay to have gay marriage. They're giving them an excuse to stop harassing and looking for an answer. They're giving them an excuse to stay in their place instead of pointing them to Jesus. And when the church is silent, we agree with their excuse. And they're really trying to shut us up. They're trying to muzzle the good dog. It's what they always do. You know that... I didn't see anybody get arrested in all these riots because Black Lives Matter. But when they shut the churches down and they peacefully protested on the courthouse steps in California and said, hey, they arrested pastors. They arrested people that were going, wait a minute, we want to go back to church. And people that peacefully protested a bill being voted on in Michigan because some person who doesn't believe in life told them they couldn't buy seeds to plant in their garden, but they could buy marijuana and they could buy booze and they can do everything that brings about death, but you couldn't plant a seed and bring life. 
So they go there to say, hey, guys, don't vote on these bills or we're going to vote you out of office. If you vote on her bill, Congress was trying to vote to give her more rights. Think about it. They were killing. Not just life. If you kill America, you're killing life. You have to kill the people that believe in God. You have to kill the people that are standing for life to kill America. You're like, oh, he's being political. No, every life is, life is about issues. You've got to make judgments. You've got to stand somewhere. You can't be silent. God calls you out to tell the truth. Silence is not good, even though they say it's golden. Don't harass the teacher any further. She's dead. There's no hope. But Jesus overheard it. Look, Jesus is standing right there with him. And Jesus heard the word that was spoken. Because the enemy's always going to come in and say, there's no hope. Send in a messenger. There's no hope. You're looking for Jesus. There's no hope. It's dead. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Only believe. Stay where you were at before the storm happened. Stay where you're at before the problem occurred. You believe when you came that Jesus could heal her. You believe Jesus was the answer. Just because the battle changed, just because death is pronounced, just because somebody lied doesn't mean that Jesus is still not the answer. Just because it's harder, just because somebody's screaming doesn't mean that your faith was placed in the wrong place. It may be the testing of your faith. Notice fear is there. Fear is what steals your faith from the right place. If he's afraid, he'll pull his faith off of the teacher. He'll listen to the lie and he'll walk off and he doesn't get his daughter. But he keeps his faith steadfast because he's been given that mustard seed of faith that gives him light. That's what his name means. Jairus means he gives light. And he keeps his, he stays the course. He says, Jesus is the answer. I don't care what the battle is. I don't care if it's dead. I don't care if it's hopeless. Hey, I understand it. Me and my wife had this conversation last night. When she coded and I walked across the hospital, I was shook. I thought she died. I thought she went to be with Jesus. And she asked me again last night, why didn't you come visit me the whole next day? I was shook. Sometimes you can be shaken and you have to find out where you're at. I was shook. I was also worried that she was going to be mad at me. For not letting her go be with Jesus. She's much better off with Jesus than she is with me. I'm a wretch. He's the perfect physician. He's the great physician. He's the end of the race. When we see him, we'll be like him. Do not be afraid. Continue to believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. See, he's training them. He's discipling them. He's keeping the focus. He's got the three, he's got the 12, and then he has the 70, but the three are allowed to go and see it. Now, if you watch this, there's going to be seven people, the perfect number complete in the room. There's going to be uh, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the girl who's sick, and the parents. Is that seven? 
I think it's seven. I could be wrong. If it's eight, then it's a number of new beginnings. Let's see. Peter, James, and John. Jesus, the girl, both parents. Seven. Okay. Complete number. I just do it out there. It's interesting that it is. It does, might not mean nothing, but everything in the scriptures means something. So the inner three here. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Notice this crowd. Notice these people who have gathered. They're celebrating death. Think about it long and hard. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now again, sleeping is a euphemism for when Christians or believers die. Jairus believes by faith. Do you think he's passed it on to his daughter? She's sleeping. See, Jesus can't be lying because there's no lie in God. And he told them, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Remember over in Thessalonica, they said, what are we going to do? All of our loved ones are dying. And Paul said to him, I do not want you to be ignorant or unlearned. But those who are asleep in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And thus we'll be with him always. And we're to encourage one another. Jesus is using the same euphemism for a believer that sleeps in Christ. And he also knows that he's getting ready to raise her and that death is not permanent. So he could probably say that. But he's definitely not lying. But I believe it's because Jairus has passed his light on and his daughter's been raised to believe that this is the Messiah or is being raised to believe in Jesus. But it could be anything. I'm reading into the text. Man is good at that. And they ridiculed him. They scorned him. They scorned him. Notice the crowd again celebrating that she's dead. There's no hope. I have a friend whose wife just went to be with Jesus and the doctor threw her hands up three times, three times and said, your God is not going to heal her. Scorn, ridicule. We're praying. We don't know what to do yet. Your God is not going to heal her. Give her medicine and let her go. It's terminal. Scorning God. I know I get real loud. Drives me crazy. That's what they tried to get me to do with my wife. Same exact doctor. But we knew it was coming. And we had already talked about it. Very sad. They ridicule you. If you put your faith in Jesus, they're mocking God, scorning him to his face. It means to deride, to laugh down. And when we exercise our faith, that's what the world does. Oh, they're praying. Remember how they mock Mike Pence because they were praying about what to do? People are dying and they're praying. People are dying, 100,000 of them of COVID, and they're trying to fix the economy. Really? Why? Because it's life. If if the economy dies, more than 100,000 people are going to die. It's life. We're trying to give life to people, hope to people. 
No, it's not politics. It's life. Man is always wrong. It doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. God is the one that's right and true. But he put them outside. And that's where the people that mock God are going to end up, outside. Dogs and sorcerers, they're outside. They're the sons of disobedience. They're going to be judged as that. They're put outside when all they want to do is entertain and have fun with death. They're going to be put outside. But he's going to bring his children into his house. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand. He touched her. That's what he wants to do is take your hand and said to her, Talita Kuma, that's Aramaic, which was the language of that area at that time. Translated, little girl, damsel, I say, arise. Arise. It means a recovery of your faculties. It's a word for getting up out of the grave. Arise. It's through the idea of collecting one's faculties to rouse from sleep. Remember, he raised three people from, the, from death. Jairus' daughter here, Lazarus from the tomb. He'd been in there four days. And then the widow of Nain's son. Notice what he says. Arise. Immediately the girl arose, walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. The physicians of the day believed that their cure had healed you if you were walking and you could eat. Notice she was perfectly healed. My wife is still recovering. My boss is still recovering. Jesus, and it was immediate. Now, Ephesians 5, 14, and we'll close on this note. Where's your faith? Is it open or closed? Is it out in the open? See, when it's out in the open, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Listen, let's just close with this right here. I'm going to read it to you. Because God would say, arise with your faith. Trust with your faith. Quit fearing and turning away from him whom you've trusted in, but keep coming to him. Touch him. Let him touch you. I and you and you and me and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 514 of Ephesians. And you can read the rest of the chapter if you want. He makes manifest everything that comes to the light. Jairus, he gives light. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk. That's how you're living, circumspectly. That's exactly as you can. Be obedient as you can. Confess when you're not as part of it. Not as fools who have said, no, God, but as wise. You get wisdom from God. He says, come and ask. I'll give it to you liberally without reproach. Redeeming, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Every day is evil in this world. 
The world's underneath the sway of the wicked one. 17, therefore do not be unwise. In other words, don't be a fool. But understand what the will of the Lord is. It's God's will. Not just to every soul would be saved, but every soul would be sanctified. Spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit positionally, instantly sanctified when you believe. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. When it begins to obey the truth, He's sanctifying and making your mind, will, and emotions line up with His Word. And then you make your body line up with what your mind says. You obey. But He says, know what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine. Drunk is the word methe. It means to be habitually intoxicated with anything. Anything else will dissipate, but be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, who's leading the children of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Speaking to one another, not by Zoom, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When I speak to you truth, I am speaking to the Lord. My heart is speaking to the Lord. It's being transformed by the Lord. But I'm sharing truth. I'm drawing closer to the Lord. I'm putting my faith in the Lord and saying His word is true. And the way I help my brother be discipled, the way I help my sister is speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to them. We rejoice together in fellowship. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name, the character, nature, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then submitting to one another in the fear of God. Notice your fear needs to be on God. The ground is level at the cross. We, 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 we submit to one another. But then he tells us what it looks like with wives, what it looks like with husbands, what it looks like in marriage, what it looks like with children and bond servants. And he goes on to tell us what submitting looks like in the fear of God. Because it has to line up with God's authority that He's given us. Is your faith in the open like Jairus's because He has been given light to know? Or is your faith still hidden like the woman with a flow of blood because she's afraid what somebody might say that she'll still be rejected? Awake and Christ will give you light. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your light. Forgive us for not listening. Teach us how to share your light with others. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?